Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Happy Easter Monday. I hope your Easter was phenomenal. Now, I come to you after not a ton of shows over the last two and a half weeks. You understand why, because the world is strange, macroscopically, microscopically. We've all been undergoing our own stuff here at Rules for Retrogrades. We have been embattled. This includes tons of stuff that's happened over the past month from uh, late March to Easter. And we're going to catch up on an important happening from about a month ago that everyone missed because of the consecration of Russia and Ukraine. It was the promulgation of a new constitution, a nine years promised constitution under Pope Francis called Predicate Evangelium, which means proclaiming the gospel or preaching the gospel, which those of us who have criticized Francis over the last nine years say, isn't proselytizing a sin? And now Francis is making all of these relatively radical changes in the name of, of preaching the gospel. I'm going to give you a, a, a brief summary view of what this one document accomplished. It was originally promulgated like a month ago, almost to the day, and it was right before the consecration of Russia. So for one thing, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly called the Holy Office, the highest of all of the dicasteries, has been demoted, more or less. Uh, back in February, Pope Francis promised that it would be broken into two sections, doctrine and discipline. It's no longer really the Supreme Holy Office. Uh, proclaiming, the doc, uh, proclaiming the gospel also makes it such that lay women and lay men can oversee as prefect Vatican offices. Also, it takes these offices from being called the congregations, it was originally 16 congregations, to dicasteries. This is a more administrative, secular term, congregation, formerly called the sacred congregations before JP2 changed that and then just called the congregations, now called the dicasteries. We'll talk about that a little bit. Opus Dei was moved from the congregation of bishops to the congregation of clergy. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, generally speaking, this is a sweeping departure from the former constitution on point governing, which was JP2's Pastor Bonus. And, um, you know, again, the, the big change, there are several here, going from requiring as prefect a, uh, a, a clerical prelate to a, now it can be a layman or a laywoman, this will require some sort of amendment of Canon 129, which reads that those in sacred orders who are qualified alone for the power of governance, this is going to have to be changed. Um, the question lingers. Can a pope delegate his authority to a layman or especially a laywoman? Uh, Father Jerry Murray on Raymond Arroyo's show shortly afterwards commented that now a laywoman can issue a binding decree and people will say, but don't I obey my bishop? More funny business, democratization of the church from Francis in the name of synodality. This is Sankt Gallen Mafia stuff, and there's just more of it to go around. Also, in the document, the term extraordinary form appears, even though this term was no longer supposed to be used because the Pope changed the bimodality back last summer in Traditionis Custodis of the Latin rite into what we would call the ordinary form anyway. So that, that's some contradiction. And of course, 
we're left with this lingering question. But Pope Francis, all of these changes, ostensibly in the name of better and more clearly preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, didn't you call this a sin, even I think a mortal sin at one point in your early pontificate, to proselytize, to forcibly bring the gospel? Strange. Um, All of the congregations now being called dicastery. Members of the dicastery can be lay people. So we're going to talk about what each of these changes mean. It's of a piece with Francis's overall move towards synodality, toward democratizing the church. We'll talk about it after this. I want to say this much. Uh, So you guys all know that the best way to support this channel in the most immediate sense is to click like, subscribe to the channel if you haven't, leave a comment on this video, click the notification bell or all the other stuff is no good because you won't know when we're, we're coming out with a new video. Do that now if you haven't. Rules for Retrogrades needs your help. Secondly, if you want to support this channel, I cannot emphasize enough, even though, generally speaking, I don't like to bang this drum, the best way to do it is to support the channel on Patreon. Go to Timothy J. Gordon. We don't talk about it as much as other channels, but we do need your help. Months like the month of March make that perfectly clear, where we've really been embattled for the existential survival of Steph's book. And my book, The Case for Patriarchy, related, the companion piece uh, that Steph's book informs it to, is The Case for Patriarchy. This is an easier, quicker way to support the channel. Both and works, doing both measures. But I really gave this book a little bit of short shrift. The Case for Patriarchy, buy this thing on Amazon today. The Case for Patriarchy, it's a Sophia book, and you can support both Sophia and me by going out and purchasing The Case for Patriarchy As you await Steph's book to be re-released, which should be a a matter of a couple weeks, ask your husband. You're going to have to wait for it because it's going to be self-published. And we'll release more information about that. So if really you want to support the channel, Patreon is the best way to do it. Buying the case for patriarchy and when Steph's book comes out on self-pub in about two weeks, that's another two ways to support the channel. We always urge you strongly now, before the midterm elections in later 2022, is the best time to get out of your blue state, get to a red state like I did. You guys, most of you know my story. I moved from one of the bluest of the blue to the reddest of the red, Mississippi, and I did so at a good time. Use realestateforlife.org to help you do so. You know I believe this. You know what I want is a blood red swath of blood red states here particularly in the American Southeast. This is the best way to do it. It's best to have these states touching, contiguous. Realestateforlife.org will help you do it. What are you doing if you're a Christian, a Catholic, a conservative, any of the above, if you are living in a blue state? Get out today. Okay. Now, we're going to get to Predicate Evangelium proclaiming the gospel. This document, with flew, which flew under almost everyone's radar, aside from Raymond Arroyo on The World Over, which is a good show that I always stay plugged into. But on the YouTube sphere, the vlogosphere, many of us missed this. Why? Because it was released shortly, just a couple days before the Russian consecration of March the 25th. And so 
no one caught it. Almost no one, if you check all the other YouTube channels. And it's a big document. It's a, in consonance with all of Francis's pontificate. It is a revolutionary document, which shouldn't surprise you. We're used to it now. It's nine years in the making because it remakes the Roman Curia. And Francis has promised this for all of his nine-year pontificate now. I can't believe he's been in the chair of Peter for a year longer than Benedict XVI. And, and he must have known that by sneaking this in immediately before the Ro- Russian consecration would be a way to get less press. And it worked. Worked on me. We, we were given all of our attention. Look at our last eight out of nine videos. Almost all of them involve the Russian consecration in one way or another. That's very important stuff. But so is this. And, and uh, it works to jam two news stories close together. So that's, that's why we're going back and doing a review and saying our due diligence requires us here on Rules for Retrogrades to give this some serious attention. The big points that what was formerly called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the Holy Office, the Supreme Office is another term it was used, is seriously demoted as are all of the congregations, because now they're merely noted as dicasteries. Dicastery is the generic term. You've heard me use it before Francis made this change. But now, my friends, dicastery is in the actual title of the office. It is no longer the CDF. It is the DDF, the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. And it's no longer clear that it is the supreme office anymore. How could it not be, though? Doctrine is what's first. How could it not be? There are now two sections of the DDF. I don't even like using the term. It's doctrine and discipline, as if they're co-equal. Well, discipline can never be equal to doctrine, right? Francis promised this back in February, and he made good on it. He promised this overall document nine years ago, and I guess he made good on it. He promised change, and he is delivered. That's one thing about leftists. They will always deliver. Another sort of sweeping remark I'll make before I get to my my comments on the rest of this stuff is this. I'm getting a lot of people saying, look, Tim, they'll say this in comments. You're not a Benny Plenist, so why talk about it? And here's here's my official position with all this talk about who is Francis, what does this 266th pontificate stand for? Here, you've heard me say it before, but let me clarify now. This pontificate has been nothing short of a, a, a pontifical catastrophe, unprecedented in the history of the church. Folks out there like me who are, are like-minded say, wow, the Benny Plenis definitely seem wrong. Now, to aver with certitude that any given pontiff, Francis or anyone else, during the time of this pontificate, is not Pope, well, this is silly, right? Because you can never have certitude. By definition, any Pope can later be declared an anti-Pope, right? The church makes this declaration. But here's one thing I don't understand, as uttered by these people I I, I agree with, to the effect that that, uh, Benny Plenism seems unlikely. I don't understand why they don't understand that this would actually be something that you reason wishfully about, a kind of desideratum. I, in other words, like I said when I debated, you know, Traditionis Custodis with my friend Tim, Tim Flanders, I said, look, you're reasoning wishfully. I wish that this thing were ultra virus to Pope Francis. 
I wish that this were beyond his powers because I, I hope you're right. I hope I'm wrong in this debate. That's what I say to the Benny Planis too. I don't think you're right. I think we have bigger problems than that. And today's, or last month's Predicate Evangelium is just one more exhibit in a whole line, a chain of evidence that verifies the claim, that vindicates the claim, that, man, it would be great if the Benny Planis were correct. If Benedict XVI had been Pope this whole time, I, I just don't believe that. I can't get my head around it yet. But I don't understand the hostility to the wishful thinking. I don't. I don't understand it. That's, that's the problem. Francis is a problem because I, I believe he is Pope. And this is absolutely unprecedented from the first to the last. I haven't heard any of these harsher critics of the Beneplanists giving some sort of explanation for the central beating heart of the Francis pontificate. How does this work with the Morris Letizia? Well, all these people that are getting smug. Smug is one thing that you don't get from this channel. We admit we're not 100% sure we're giving you the facts, even if they make us uncomfortable. The facts are, I think Francis is Pope, and that makes me uncomfortable. But for all the smug critics, over-harsh critics of the Bene Plenis, well, how are we going to explain Amoris Laetitia, right? Communion given to the divorced and civilly remarried, which is a doctrinal, dare I say, nearly even a dogmatic issue, especially considering that six months after the weaponized ambiguity of the document was published in April of 2016. In October, I believe, of 2016, Francis put into the Acte Apostolicae Sedis, the magisterium, a letter, a rescript he wrote to the Argentine bishops saying that they had the only correct interpretation of Amoris Laetitia. This was a big deal. He put this sacramental, and I'd say even fundamental theological error into the magisterium. And everyone was going crazy, myself included, in late 2016 when he did this. It was vague when it was just a footnote between April and October of 2016, but it was no longer vague after this rescript that he put into the magisterium in late 2016. That was a big deal. That ended the question. He has formalized an error in the magisterium. And it's a sacramental one, and it's one that leads several people into grave error and likely hell. This is unprecedented. And there's just been tons of other horrible stuff. Look at a, a video that we did about a month ago called The 101 Outrages of Pope Francis. Um, tons of horrible stuff. I, I mean, for one thing, he believes and he's expressed several times that hell doesn't exist that the logic of the gospel can't punish forever, that was put into Amoris Laetitia also. He, it's not just that he believes that and said that to you know, crazy leftist Marxist uh, European uh, journalists, to whom he's also said that Jesus was not God while he was alive. This is a big, big problem, okay? We're getting back to Predicate Evangelium, but I just want to point out that for all of the... Most people really have liked my treatment of Beneplanism because I'm honest with it. Look, would that this were right, but I think it's wrong. Would that it's right, but I don't think it, it shall come to pass that the church will ever declare Francis an antipope. But I'm happy to be wrong on that. And it is a possibility. It's not some impossibility. So I don't understand all the, the angry mudslinging at the Beneplanist folks. That's why we've talked to both sides so much. And I've told you very clearly which side, as a matter of fact, I, I believe I'm on. I don't understand why people have forgotten 
how many problems that are unprecedented, that are really damaging to the faith, devastating almost, will arise from the fact that Francis is a pope. If he suddenly were declared not in the future, that would be a grace, an ease. This would make being a Catholic that much more um, facile and reconciliable to recto ratio. Good reason. Okay, Predicate Evangelium is one more small step in that direction. Not, not minuscule, but, but small, noticeable. The Holy Office changed to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. How many times do we need to change the name of this office in a century? It's been called the Holy Office for, for centuries. Then it gets downgraded to CDF, but it was the Sacred Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. Then John Paul II moved it down to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And now Francis just calls it the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. Why? Because a congregation, as Father Jerry Murray explains, denotes an assembly of bishops and cardinals. A dicastery is a more administrative, secular term. And now it's actually smack dab in the title of each of these 16 offices. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith so that laymen, and I think in particular lay women, can head them. This raises the problem. Father Jerry Murray pointed this out on Arroyo show uh, in late March also. Can a pope delegate his authority to a layman? Uh, and now a lay woman, who is ordered not to do so by sacred scripture in several places, giving religious uh, directions to a man, can issue a binding decree and people will say, well, do I obey you? Lay woman, or do I obey my bishop? Roman Catholic Church is supposed to work one way and one way only. Uh, also, Latin is no longer specified as the language of the church. Francis has flirted with uh, publishing lots of documents in Italian rather than Latin, but this document is only in Italian, or, or was for the first two weeks, and uh, really seriously looks to get rid of Latin as the actual language of the church. This is strange. This is very strange. Opus Dei, whether you like them, you're medium toward them, or you're you're so-so about them, or you hate them, uh, they were moved from the congregation of bishops to the congregation of clergy. Now, they're one of a very small handful of groups in the church that enjoyed personal prelature by being put directly into the congregation of bishops. Now they're in the congregation of clergy. This um, fundamentally alters the way that a... Uh, a group in the church can operate under personal prelature. That's just curious. In regard to all this change, fundamental change from JP2's Pastor Bonus, Canon 129 looms in the background. Those in sacred orders who are qualified alone for the power of governance now seems to be contradicted. Is Canon 129 a very fundamental uh, ecclesiological provision? right at the heart of the way that the church functions. Will this need to be amended? It seems so. The Pope seems like now he can delegate his authority to a layman. Before it was a cardinal or at lowest a bishop. Now he can delegate authority to a layman, a laywoman, and there are all kinds of problems that you know know we have with this. And scripture, tradition, and longstanding bimillennial Catholic magisterium have with that. The case for patriarchy makes that much clearer as to a lay woman, but even a lay man is problematic. Uh, the document also contains a 
self-contradicting reference to the extraordinary form, which according to Last Summer's Traditionis Casotis is supposed to be gone. There's supposed to be no more extraordinary form. Francis has already contradicted himself on this because he met two months ago with FSSP, one of the Ecclesia Dei institutions, one of my favorites, the Fraternal Society of St. Peter, and he told them that they will be able to continue to do the Latin Mass. So what the heck is going on? What the heck is going on? This always applies to Francis' pontificate. He said he wants to make a mess, and he's doing so. That's what the heck is going on. And it's not just the CDF that's the DDF. Every Vatican department, or whatever you want to call them, is now officially called in its title a dicastery, no longer congregation. The assembly of bishops and cardinals is what a congregation is there to do. And now it's going to be a, a secular department of lay people who are not authorized by Christ to bind and loose. They're not supposed to have the powers of binding and loosing. And Pope Francis is attempting to, like the German church, who we know are many of his close allies, they're trying to use synodality to democratize the church. And that's what they're doing. This is precisely what's affected by deputizing lay people outside of the episcopate, well below the episcopate, to uh, act vicariously in the Pope's name. This is a big problem. Just more big problems. I'm almost sick of talking about it, but we can't. We, we skipped it because of the Russian consecration, right? Can't skip it anymore. I mean, we have to, we have to talk about it. So few of the shows covered it us included okay so what 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 to do like i say how long will the lord allow us to wander in darkness under this more than confusing pontificate weaponized pontificate i don't know i don't know i've always been honest on this point i'll tell you guys a lot of things where i'm like hey i'm telling you i know i'm telling you i know patriarchy is the way forward Rather than blaming our bishops, who generally speaking have done a horrible job leading their flock, a really poisonous job leading their flock, the easiest way is to take back control of our own families. That's what the case for patriarchy is all about. You know, the easiest, the most effective way is certainly not just going to the Latin Mass and pinning everything else on the bishops. We have to take back our own families. I told you that, certainly. That's a bold claim. That claim has come under attack from the feminists. Some people on the right, bitter tongues on the right, acid tongues, acrid people that were more center than center right. I, I got slings and arrows, and Steph's book got even bigger slings and bigger arrows from all directions in the church. We said this with confidence, with boldness, and with, dare I say, substantial certitude. We made this declaration in a couple of books, Case for Patriarchy and Ask Your Husband. But with regard to the Francis Pontificate, Although I've said some things, I'm confident saying this is the worst pope we've ever had. I'm very confident as a church history instructor. I'm not telling you, I know what the long game is here. We know it's something fishy for Francis. It's another fishy constitution promulgated by Pope Francis. But I don't know what the big providential picture is, how much longer we are to toil like this. Everyone's confused. Everyone's confused after the Russian consecration. 
I did the show with Dr. Ed Mazza saying, I don't know what that means that Pope Francis did it. I can honestly admit to you, I was surprised he did. I told you that. But the point is this. What's the status of Latin as the language? What's the status of the traditional Latin mass? What's the status of Opus Dei? What's the status of what used to be called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith? What's the status of the other 15 lower dicasteries? What's the status of lay women who, according to Pope Francis, now can be prefects? I don't know. And neither can you and neither can any talking head out there because this is what the Marxists, the radicals, the Masons do when they storm good institutions. And the church, particularly the Vatican, the curial departments of the Vatican, are the highest and best Western institution, the one that's got a mark of divinity in it. And they're storming it. They stormed it in the 60s. They stormed it decades before the 60s. And they're restorming it now under the pontificate of Francis. And when they do so, things go from bad to worse. And one can't know, as a layperson living in contingent history, how much longer the chaos will be allowed to reign. But I tell you this, take it back, zoom it back to 50,000 feet. Here are the two big questions. Pope Francis, this is obviously a pretextual uh, a pretext that he's given for the promulgation of this document, that he wants, to, he wants to proclaim the gospel. Well, he told us the first three years in his office, he, he said this frequently, proselytizing is a sin. Even sometimes he called it a mortal sin. Proselytizing the way he's using it means proclaiming the gospel boldly, chapter and verse. There's no ground for a distinction here. So that's not really what he wants to do. He wants to make the change for the change's sakes. Each of these changes we just discussed. That's the first big tell that this thing is pretextual. And the second big question is, of course, what I raised uh, in the second portion of today's show. It's, holy cow, Francis is Pope. He's number 266 until the church declares him otherwise. What a real headache of a situation we find ourselves in because he's continuing to make changes. And I would say that in the last calendar year, he got aggressive again. He'd been less aggressive in the previous year. I guess maybe it was COVID. But we have to watch, we have to pray, we have to be faithful, we have to change what we can, which is our own families, and we have to continue to make distinctions, which I know never make one super popular with the red meat crowd. We have to make distinctions. We don't believe the Beniplanists are correct, but why hate them? There's nothing wrong with with wishing that they were correct, even if we think they're incorrect. That's been my position all along. I don't understand the hatred there because, as I've expressed several times in this very show, it is straightforwardly a headache that Francis has made all these changes. And there seems to be, with some groups on the right, a sort of short-term memory being applied. After 2018, everyone agreed. After the Summer of Shame... Vigano outing Francis as being far more collusive with uh, Cardinal McCarrick than, than anyone would have otherwise known. 
everyone was, all bets were off. People were like, yeah, this is a big problem. A lot of groups that stood down for the promulgation of Amoris Laetitia in 2016 were like, I shouldn't have stood down on that. This is, this is a revolutionary papacy like we've never seen. Much more than Paul VI. We shouldn't have stood down. So it was 2018, 2019, everyone on the, every sensible Catholic agreed, Francis is bad. We don't have the authority, but if we could, man, he'd be out of here. 2020, mostly the same. But starting in 2021, a lot of people started seeming to selectively forget, intentionally forget, I should say, and start saying, well, whatever. And now it's gotten to be acrimonious again on the right for anyone that's even close to saying what Patrick Coffin or Ed Mazza are saying. Look, I, I've, I've told both of these guys on this show, I disagree with you, but I don't understand why people can't understand that this kind of constant revolution in the church over nine years, every day, every week at least, Francis is making changes that will be hard to undo. And some of the changes, whether they can be undone or not, can't even be explained magisterially, ecclesiologically. Amoris Laetitia is one of them. Some of them have already crystallized. We need explanations. Again, I close today's show by reaffirming the need for vegan, what Vigano said, we at the very least need some investigation of the origins of this papacy prior to the next conclave. That's what we need. Francis is Pope for now. We all, we all have to acknowledge this. I've told Pat this. I've told Ed this. Look, we should just wait and see. But, but Vigano's right. There have already been things that have been done that seem to be irredeemable in this pontificate. And no one knows what the solution is. Much of the rest of this pontificate is being crystallized as we speak. He's making it hard to undo all the synodality. But some of it, even if it were done for a week and then undone, it has to be accounted for. We strive on in uncertainty, but we do so with a fastness of purpose and with love in our hearts. Pray for the Pope. Pray for the Church. Be good to each other. Things will turn around. But don't kid yourself. We are striving through a serious period of darkness. God bless you all. And then personally, again, please support this channel on Patreon. Timothy J. Gordon is the best way to do so. We're getting Steph's book out to you. Please, everyone buy a copy. That's the, that's the, the best way to support this program when that thing is repubbed in two weeks. Ask your husband. We have to do what we can and pray for that which we can't under our own power altar. God bless you guys. Deus Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.